Welcome to the Business Leader Podcast. My name is Serena, and today our guest is an award-winning leadership coach, speaker, educator, and author of the book, Real Wins, which draws on her experience coaching in sports, government, and education. She has had roles spanning across these sectors and has transformed the lives of professionals, young people, athletes, and the internal culture of many organizations. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. Email questions at businessleader.co.uk to get in touch. And now it's time to welcome Michelle Moore to the podcast. Welcome, Michelle. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Wonderful to be here. Good afternoon to you. Good evening. Good morning to all of the listeners. And thank you very much for the invitation, Serena. Thank you for joining us. Just to kick us off, I want to ask you about your experience throughout your life that have led you to this point. So kind of from your school age, perhaps, what did that look like? And how did those experiences impact what you do now? Yeah, great question to start us off with. So basically, I am a former athlete. So from the age of nine, I was doing athletics all the way up until my mid-20s. And for me, athletics was just this amazing thing in my life. And a lot of the, the lessons that I learned from my sporting days are the lessons that I've translated into my professional career. So as a young woman, as a young black mixed woman, I was somebody who found a great deal of comfort within sport and within athletics. It was this kind of very identity affirming place where I was among people that looked looked like me. And so my identity became wrapped up in my sporting success and in my sporting losses, right? So I lost a lot of races. And so sport afforded me these amazing gifts of of resilience, of understanding the power of mindset, of understanding focus, and what it means to really win. And what do we learn from our wins? And most importantly, what do we learn from our losses? And so I talk a lot about loss and failure and adversity and how we over Overcome those in our lives. And I was very fortunate to learn those life lessons early on. But you overlay that with my sense of identity as well. As a as a young brown skinned woman, my sister and I were I'm a twin, so it's a beautiful thing in my life. So I often talk in the plural. My heritage is from Guyana and from England. So my grand came over here on a boat with three children, one of those my dad, who was three years old, and she toiled and she sacrificed for our lives to be great, for us to have as many opportunities as possible. And that sense of activism, actually, and being a change maker was really inputted from a really early age, because I always remember our dad talking to us about the boycott of South African goods and how we could play a part within that. So these small seeds of activism, of the actions that we could take, could make a massive difference to the global. And that has been a part of my career journey. So I became a teacher as my first job. I wanted to be a positive black female role model. And that was really important to me in terms of, you know, redefining some of the, the ways in we we see the lack of real ethnic and cultural diversity within the education system. And then I went on and worked at a football club in the Charitable Trust. I worked for Charlton Athletic Race Equality Partnership as a sports development coordinator 
using sport and race together to actually connect with communities and empower them through coaching qualifications. And all of this was related to my identity and my sporting mindset. I ended up in a secondary school as an assistant head teacher and then worked in local authority management and local government for a number of years, developing my consultancy work and my coaching and leadership programs along the side, which is what I now do full time and developing a profile as a campaigner, as an activist and as a speaker in this space. So my passions and my commitment to equity and social justice are wrapped up in my identity and are wrapped up in the work that I do. And in that self-determinist way, I want to be able to define what success looks like for me, right, Serena? It's important for what success looks like for me to enable myself to be of service to others. I have to be very clear about that. So I have a very eclectic kind of (laughs) way of looking at the kind of different things that are in my life in terms of the work that I do. And it isn't a traditional kind of role. I get to define it and I exist outside some of those boundaries of, of those constructs of what a professional successful person might look like, really. But I'm defining those parameters for myself. I think that's really powerful and and also really interesting that ultimately your life experiences and those things that are a part of your identity ultimately underpin the work that you do. And, you know, it isn't just coaching and it isn't just public speaking or writing a book. Really, you know, you speak about identity and you speak about all of those things that are involved in helping people to self-actualize Yeah, absolutely. And it's about, you know, being able to understand that we're on this journey, right? Our consciousness around these issues develop. And I've become more and more confident. I'm much older now. I'm 49 years old. And so I use my voice in a different way. I I intentionally use platforms to increase my visibility, to talk about issues of social injustice, to talk about the pressures on athletes, for example, to use their voice. But also, how do we fulfill our own leadership potential, and in doing that, become much more conscious in terms of our leadership style, but in terms of our intentions and our actions to create more inclusive communities and more inclusive cultures. And so when you're working from that space where you're very rooted in your identity, you become very clear about where you have your greatest impact, right? And so throughout my career, it's taken me this amount of time, if you believe that, to be able to be very, very focused around what is it that Michelle Moore brings to the party? What am I bringing? And where do I make my biggest difference and impact? And that is by turning up and having individuals in front of me and coaching them to the biggest realization of who they never thought that they could be, right? And that's so exciting. And it's such a privilege, actually, to be a part of that journey. And when I'm talking to people, it's really about what is it that they want from themselves to understand what success looks like, not about the racialized and gender tropes that their organizations may be overlaying onto them, not fulfilling the stereotype, not doing something that your parents might be expecting you to do. But what does it actually look like? Your organization, your company has KPIs attached to your name. What are your KPIs? What are your personal and professional KPIs? What are those key performance indicators, those milestones that make you feel as if you are being more of you in the world? And when we have more of ourselves out there, when we are able to express who we are, and be more aligned to our values and really congruent with that, then we turn up with this power, with this energy, with this charisma that is just 
unbeatable. You know, it really is. It's a uh, it's really special. And especially when you get that if you're in an interview situation or a presentation situation. I talk about this a lot, Serena, around releasing your attachment to the outcome. Something I learned a long time ago when I was an athlete. All I could do was turn up and be the best version of myself at that moment when you're down on your blocks and the gun goes. All I'm doing is concentrating on my technique, everything that I've trained for. And I can't be concerned with whether or not I'm going to win the race or lose the race. I'm just concerned with the elements of technique. And it's the same in professional life. You turn up and you give your best effort with the resources that you have. You do the preparation. You get your mindset right. You visualize your success. And then you have to let go of the things that you can't control. You cannot control how they're going to receive that information. You cannot control if everyone's going to like you. You cannot control if you're going to be successful at that business pitch. But what you can control is how you turn up ready and how you turn up and show up is so significantly important. As you can see, Serena, I can go off at serious tangents. So you have to kind of rein me in, but um, specifically around the stuff around identity and, and being rooted in the work that I do. It's been a privilege and an honor to be able to share that journey with others and enable them to kind of get a bit of that and get some inspiration and also some real life practical examples because I'm very down to earth. So it's in the here and now of the work that they are doing around. A lot of people might come to me and say, I really want to make a change in my organization. I'm lacking confidence. I don't have the visibility. I don't understand what this word influence means. And we demystify some of that in some very concrete actions. Yeah, I know. We love hearing you go off into a tangent there. But I think it can be really difficult for entrepreneurs and business people to really understand what their values even are in the first place, because typically we have been taught to really separate who we are as a person from this corporate version of ourselves. And only recently has there been this intertwining between the two. And sometimes business people can feel a little bit scared to really be their full selves. And so it's interesting to hear the perspective that actually really understanding who you are can be at the core of really your success, really understanding what your values are, really understanding what you stand for. And then having the confidence to make decisions and build your life around those values. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing to highlight. But one of the things about that is that it's not entirely safe for all of us to do that, right? So, you know, it wasn't safe for me as a as a black woman, sometimes the youngest being the boss, to enable myself to feel confident enough to be fully expressive of who I am in terms of my identity in some environments. And anyone from a marginalized identity has to be very cognizant of that. And so that's the work that I do to support people to find their inner confidence, but also to be able to read their environment, to understand what is okay to share and what isn't okay to share. So there's something around your value set and how you live out those values. You know, so if you are committed to equity and social justice, how do we see that in your behavior? You know, really interesting as a as an author, I'm constantly kind of pushing the boundaries with all sorts of different organizations that I'm working with now. And I've included in my book some designs from a young black female graphic designer. And my publisher was like, I wouldn't normally do that, Michelle. And I said, well, it's really important to me to showcase talents of those who are from a marginalized identity. And I'd like her name in the front as well, 
and her attributed that well you know it's you know we wouldn't do and I, I've made that happen so it's really these small things that can have actually a massive impact and for that young woman it's been a, a career changing moment for her you know so I think in the way in which we turn up as leaders for ourselves but also the cultures that we're responsible for how do we create those psychologically safe environments by leading with our values that we're living into, that people can see, feel, and touch. How empathetic are you as a leader? One of the things I did, and and why I think I'm quite a decent leadership speaker, is because I've made some magnificent mistakes, Serena. Let me tell you, I have made some real clangers. And, you know, at times in my career, I've managed teams where I have been the complete opposite in terms of identity. And I've come in as the youngest and the only black person and, you know, the boss and there's been a lot of resistance and one of the ways in which I talk about my values is to be very congruent and aligned with empathy and understanding experiences of others and the way that we do that is by stepping into their shoes and so even though I was the leader I decided to do the team's work and that was like five rungs below the kind of level that I was at for two weeks and it was really hard and I know that I wasn't very well liked within this particular kind of teams that I was managing But after that process, I got so much capital by understanding their journeys and the work that I was able to become a much more authentic, a much more vulnerable and a much more empathetic leader by acknowledging my gaps in my knowledge, but understanding their journey. And that enabled me to be a really good conscious leader in a way that I could never have imagined. And so I was walking my talk. I was walking my values. I was living into those values. And so when those issues of conflict or difficult times came up, I was kind of starting from a different starting point because they had that respect for me as a very conscious leader who is prepared to get stuck in. So that's a really small example of of living out your values, really. One thing that really stands out to me from what you've just said is this phrase, conscious leader. And what that says to me is having self-awareness, essentially. And it goes back to, you know, that understanding what your values are and the person that you are. But for our listeners, would it be something that's as easy as sitting down and writing down on a piece of paper the things that you think are important? Or how can you really sort of whittle down what those values are within you? Because they're not company values. They're really specific and individual. So what's the sort of exercise that you could do to externalize it and really have a bit of awareness on what those values are? Yeah, I think it's a really great question because it is about self-awareness and and being a conscious leader of yourself doesn't matter what level you are in the organization. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're the CEO, if you're the middle manager, if you're the entry-level employee, if you are a conscious leader, it means that you are self-aware and you're really in tune with yourself that enables you to be in tune with others. And that creates this magnificent relational connection. And It's that that then enables you to be held accountable, to develop your authenticity, and to also, in those tough moments, be aligned to your values that can often become your anchor. You can ask other people, what do you think I represent? What values would you associate with me? And it's really interesting what other people come up with that you may not have thought about. And there's some good exercises out there just think about what are the things that you deeply care about and starting to whittle those down because a lot of them kind of overlap with each other. It's good to identify three core values, whether that's equity, excellence, compassion, whatever that looks and feels like for you, you're already demonstrating them in some of your behaviors. So that's why it's good 
to ask some of those people who are closest to you, then in your outer circle, and then like some of your acquaintances. And then with your own thinking around those moments where you've kind of really stood firm in something, you've made a real, you know, stance on something. And whether that's, you know, sustainability, whether that's social justice, climate change, whatever it is, start to think about what is it that really emotively moves you. You know, my triggers are around injustice because from a very young age, I remember my mum and my dad walking down the street and my mum being abused for having a, a black husband. And so my triggers are very rooted in that sense of exclusion, that sense of otherness, that sense of you don't belong here. And so I understand that really clearly. I have a very good self-awareness and a lot of my work is governed around that. But what is it for you? What is it for you, Serena? It will be something different that's related to your identity. And I think getting clear about that enables us, even in those toughest moments, sometimes they're the only things that we can hang on to. And they give you such a source of of support. And in my book, Real Wins, I talk about standing tall. I'm six foot two for the listeners. And I talk about standing tall in those moments when we feel under threat, when we feel challenged, or when we are minoritized in a particular way. And often we get that from tuning into our identity, tuning into those that have come before us, that have kind of struggled for us to be there. But we tune into what's important to us in those moments. And those are our values in those very difficult times. Yeah, definitely. That's really powerful. I just want to touch on something that you said earlier on about the importance of defining what success looks like in your own terms and really just kind of pick apart what you mean by this and and why that's so important. For those of us that are in environments where we may be the ones that are different or marginalized in some way, and for those of us that find ourselves discontent, we want to be in a space where actually we feel as if we're in charge of our own lives, right? That we are being determinist in the in the opportunities that come our way and that we're in charge, that actually we're not just reacting to what happens to us, but we're responding in a grounded way where we have a bigger strategic picture for our lives. So when people come to me and they talk about what's going on and the challenges that they're experiencing, you know, being mansplained, undervalued, being unseen, all of those things, I ask them, what's the big vision? What's the picture? What are you working towards? And often people don't, they're just like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'll stay here for another two years. Oh, so you're going to stay in an environment that you've just told me is crushing for two years, right? What's the plan? And often people haven't done that. They haven't thought about the entirety and the totality of their lives because we're not defined by just this professional working life. We're defined by creating harmony between our personal and our professional, right? And so for me, that getting clear about defining success is having a loose plan around what are you working towards? Well, when you start to ask people like in the next four or five years, I want a family, I want to be able to travel, I want to be able to make my difference in the world by doing this. And I'm like, well, okay, where you are right now isn't taking you towards that. So let's look at what success actually looks like for you by defining what it is that you want in your life. And sometimes we have to start with what we don't want, right, Serena, we have to start with I don't want this, this and this. And then that helps us to get clear about what we want. And I often talk about creating visions for yourself, whether that's through a PowerPoint, a vision board, or I do something that I love to do every year, which is an intentions letter, where I write out everything that I'd like to happen that year. And I let my mind go wild with whatever that is, whether that's 
speaking on a stage to 10,000, looking like, you know, a million dollars to um, meeting the man of my dreams, whatever it is, right? And I write it down as if it's already happened. And I live into that letter. And it's, I love doing it. I put the candle on, I put music, some music on, and I enjoy doing it. I dress it to myself, and then I give it to somebody I love and trust. Usually my sister, but one year she lost it. So I give it to my mum now. She sends it to me a year later. And I then look at what has happened throughout that year. And honestly, I've forgotten what I've written in that letter. And 70 to 80 to 90% of what I've written comes to fruition in some way. It might not be literally. And so there's something powerful about defining your visions and thinking about what success looks like for you on your terms. So that when a job interview or an opportunity comes along, you're clear, well, actually, it might look really seductive and brilliant on paper. But is that really going to take me forward in the vision and the direction that I want my life to go? Maybe not. Or maybe it is. So you become clearer to see that you're in a space of responding rather than reacting. And so therefore, you get to redefine boundaries. And I talk about that all the time. The boundaries that I'm working towards within being an author, within being a consultant and a coach are the ones that I'm now defining for myself. I'm creating change by saying, actually, I want to do it this way because this is related to my identity and my values. And this is what I want to do. So, you know, the way in which I've been stereotyped through my professional career as aggressive, as too assertive, as just a bit too much, you know, those kind of racialized and the way in which it intersects with gender is a trope that I'm not interested in. I absolutely create my possibilities and reimagine my possibilities outside of those limited societal expectations. And that's why I get my most joy. And that's where I find the most amazing, exciting programs and projects out of being authentic and about being transparently me in the world. I manifested actually, I created a whole billboard campaign with Clear Channel for my book, Real Wins. I was up on the Chiswick flyover, this massive billboard with real wins on my face. And it was in 21,000 cities up and down this country because I was so committed to this work and what I wanted to be and who I wanted to be in the world and how I wanted that to come across. And the vision that I have for my work is at a really high level. I was able to be, by turning up and by being me and connecting with like-minded people, it created magic and, and opportunities that came along like that. So redefining boundaries, defining what success looks like for you is so important because in one of my chapters, I've got a title that is to be CEO or not CEO. So often people are saying to me, we'd like you to apply for these roles to be a CEO, Michelle. And I'm like, I don't know why you think I'd like to be a CEO. I'm the CEO of my own life, of my own business. Thank you very much. But that's your idea of success. It's not mine. And so for some people, it's reaching a middle management level and staying there and having an outside business that's amazing or having a beautiful, enriched family life with travel as a part of it. You get to define it. You're in charge. And so much of the time, we're just reacting to what's happening around us rather than consciously thinking we are the leaders of our own lives. We can take control and we can take powerful decisions in ways that we have no idea, really. It's a really amazing way to think and approach life in general. And in terms of redefining what success is, I think specifically within the business world and amongst business leaders, there is this sort of culture of being really high performing, of kind of having this lifestyle that's, you know, you get up at 5am, you go for a run, you, you come back, you're working until late in the evening and uh, especially on social media and, and through platforms like LinkedIn. 
because you're seeing everybody else doing it, you can sort of feel like you should be doing it as well. Do you think this culture is quite problematic? And how can a business leader really cultivate what success is to them and what a successful outcome is to them as well? I think there's something about how we turn up in our fullest selves and how do we do that so that we are as effective and as content as possible that enables us to be, you know, I don't want to use the word most effective. I don't want to buy into the language that's out there in terms of productivity. And some of that I don't relate to in any way, because for me, it's about having that growth mindset, right? That's open and curious to learning as opposed to the fix that is narrow-minded and, and, and won't kind of seize challenges or threat. So when you turn up and you have that growth mindset, you understand that to get the best out of yourself, you have to have radical rest. You cannot perform to the best of your ability in peak performance if you don't have radical rest. Right? And I know some people might not be able to identify with these examples, but I think they do translate into the professional setting. As an athlete, when you are coming towards a major champs, you taper down your training. You can't be going at 100% in training. Your training sessions become easier so that you're then in a better state and more ready to compete. And it's the same in work. It's the same in professional life. We know that if you are more grounded, if you're more centered, if you are doing those things to enable you to feel more of you, you turn up in a way that's actually much more powerful, much more fulfilled. And there are those daily practices and intentions that you can do that you can build into your life. That doesn't mean you have to get up at 5am, actually. I don't, I don't really subscribe to that. It means that you find a way that works for you, that brings out the best in you. So I know that I have to do things in terms of my daily rituals that enable me to turn up and give my best to you today, Serena. You know, if I, if I haven't meditated, if I haven't journaled, if I haven't done my 10-minute power walk in the mornings, I turn up, but I'll be a bit more afraid. The marginal gains that I talk about a lot of the, the micro adjustments that we can make to technique and performance are enabled when I am centered and grounded. If I'm not centered and grounded, I'm not able to have that, that moment of clarity. What meditation does for me, it creates the, that distance between my thoughts. And every time, every single day, every time after that 10 minute quiet meditation, a new idea comes. And then the journaling, journaling, I've been doing that for the last five years, Serena. And it has been a game changer. All of the problems that I'm dealing with, I write down in my journal and they become the minutes to your life. Or when I'm talking to athletes, I get them to voice note it into their phone. And then sometimes I'm struggling with a problem. And then when I'm reviewing my journal every few days, the solution is in my journal. Michelle, you need to speak to this person about X, Y, Z. And I haven't actioned it. And then when I read back my journal, it's like a coach for myself. It gives me the solutions. And so we have to be able to express ourselves, especially when we're in those moments of overwhelm, because that's when we need to be very clear about what is it? What's the most singular, most important three objectives that I've got to do today? And the only way that I get clarity over those objectives and not just become overwhelmed with everything is by being grounded and more in touch with who I am and in a space where I feel calm and I'm turning up and showing up in the fullest version of me. And that is directly related to my well-being and the rituals that I do on a daily basis that are consistent, that not, it's a really busy time, I haven't been able to do my rituals. Actually, during the busy times is when you have to up your rituals as much as you can. 
you know, sometimes I'm saying to myself, well, actually, Michelle, right now, my well-being is such that I've got to reduce my intensity levels on X, Y, and Z. And this isn't necessarily going to be a big priority I'm working on right now. So I'm going to give 30% of my percentage effort to this. And that just really subtle shift is a marginal gain, is a micro adjustment that means that you can manage your well-being and manage your energy around all of that. Definitely. You mentioned that your experience as an athlete and how the lessons that you learned from that experience have transcended to the work that you now do with various leaders and people from all kinds of sectors. What would you say you learned from your experience as an athlete? Well, I never made it to those international heights that I would have loved to. I trained with amazing athletes. I had incredible coaches. I trained out in the US for a little while, but I never really made it because I didn't, I had the talent, but I didn't really have the right mindset at that time. And one of the things that I learned mostly was about resilience and it's how we have that resilient mindset. And what sport teaches you is that, you know, you might lose on the track at the weekend. I might have lost my 400 meter race, but I was still turning up to training the following week, right? So in the hope that I would have the potential to win the following weekend. So it was literally a lesson in dusting yourself off processing the loss and then moving on as quickly as possible because you wanted to be in that readier state. And it's much like life. Life throws us these challenges, right? And through through that, we develop our levels of resilience. And sometimes tough times and adversity and barriers come along. And what we find is that we are in a space where we are having to kind of come up with these life coping strategies to deal with it. And when we do, it reveals to our strengths that we never realized that we actually had. And if we're open enough to really understand that, the next time it comes, we're enabled to deal with that loss or that adversity or that failure in a different way. It's like we transform our future because of that systemic resilience in us. And a lot of us are just not in that space. We're thinking, why me? Why has this happened again? Rather than asking ourselves more life-affirming questions around what's the lesson here? You know, we have to give ourselves time to process stuff, you know, emotively, but we have to get to that space of what's the lesson. And the quicker we learn the lesson, the quicker we ask ourselves those questions, the more resilient we become and the more enabled we become to deal with life's challenges, our self-efficacy, that understanding and that belief and motivation that we can deal with life's challenges then increases and strengthens and takes on this incredible power that we didn't even realize that we had. And I think that's what we learn from our tough moments. And that to me is really, really important. And we often have evidence in our lives that we've dealt with issues and, you know, tough times before, but we often forget that when they're in the midst of the the next kind of crisis. So sport has given me those life lessons from a very early age. And I think that's what translates into understanding how we can manage and transform our futures by understanding how failure affects us and the mindset that we adopt for our future based on the learnings that we've taken from those really tough moments. In the midst of some kind of adversity, it can be difficult to have space between yourself and your thoughts in those moments. But it can be just as easy as having a specific question that you ask yourself or a specific phrase that you say to yourself to create that space between you and your thoughts. Is there anything you kind of say to yourself or you ask yourself in those moments? 
it's such a good observation, Serena. Like we can lose, we can have a tough moment, we can fail at something, but we can actually choose to be undefeated by that, right? Our mindset can be so strong that we can say, well, actually, I'm not going to be defined by this failure because otherwise you'd never, ever move on. And so there is a great technique where you can kind of count back five, four, three, two, one. You're disrupting your negative thought and you can anchor something positive. You can anchor a positive memory. I often think of my gorgeous niece. I think of something that's really empowering, whether that's you've got this, you can handle this. You're a boss woman. You're a badass, Michelle. You know, you've got it. Right. And then that gives you the time to actually decide how you're going to respond rather than react. And sometimes in those moments, Serena, I don't respond. I might quirk an eyebrow and that's my response. And you can see from my face that that's a response in itself. Or I might decide that I don't have the well-being enough in me to do anything. Or I might decide I'm going to sort that out after. Or I might say, actually, I do have an issue with what you've said there. I will come back to you at another time. And so the work that I do with individuals is really about coming up with some of those scripts and some of those techniques to help them in those moments. And as a former athlete, there are a lot of techniques that we used to do. And one of them was talking to yourself in the third person. It's called eliism. Athletes do it a lot. And it's about distancing yourself from the emotion, which helps you to regulate that emotion, externalizing your fear, writing out an imaginary headline, you know, Usain Bolt breaks the world record or whatever it is in the newspaper headline for the next day after the race. And then that releases you from the internalized fears that you have. You've externalized them. There are all kinds of ways in which you can manage your mindset to enable you to feel more empowered in those moments of of real struggle and tension. Or you can create an alter ego. Lots of the people that I work with love this, where you actually give yourself a different name. And if you're struggling to perform in a presentation or a speaking engagement, or even that tricky conversation with a teenager in your life, or that member of staff who is really tricky, you step into this alter ego of somebody else where you see them as more confident, as more powerful, as having all the right words. And, you know, you create a Serena 2.0 or whatever it is. And it helps you to just distance yourself from the underconfident you into a more empowered you. And so these are all tricks and techniques that you can have to be able to also neurolinguistically train your brain to actually see failure and adversity and the barriers as something that is going to pop up. It's a part of the journey to your idea of success. So sometimes it plays like a minor role. Sometimes it's got this massive starring role, but it's always going to be there. And so when you understand and accept that, when it comes along, your self-awareness kicks in, that's your conscious leadership, and you know that there are some techniques that you've got to draw on to help you in that moment. So I think those are a few techniques that could possibly help some of our listeners today. Within business, it's spoken a lot about the lessons learned from failure and how important failure is in the journey to success. Also, how important it is to build resilience and that kind of thing. But what kind of lessons can we learn from the wins? So you mentioned there that, you know, even during your experience as an athlete, you did learn things from the wins as well as the losses. So what can you learn from a win then that can be utilized? Well, such a good question, Serena. I never ask that. I'm always asked about the losses. Um, Well, I think for me, it's about really standing in the success of that moment. Like what happens is 
when we have this goal and when we have this ultimate achievement that we want and we achieve it, we spend such a small amount of time standing in the success. We don't mark it. We don't find ways to celebrate it. And I learned this quite a while ago, actually. In 2016, I won an award, which was the Precious Award, which was for women of colour. And it was for being an outstanding woman in sport. And it was such a surprise to me because I was up against, you know, acclaimed athletes and sports coaches. And I'm a, I was a consultant, a leadership coach, a non-exec director in sport doing work behind the scenes. And so to win this award was a really big deal. And I got some advice on the evening from a judge to say, Michelle, really stand in your success, really shout about this. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't want to appear as if I'm showing off. And he was like, Michelle, no. And he said, you have to actually own it. And it was such good advice. I wrote an article about myself. I got it printed in the newspaper. I put it on everybody's websites. I sent it out throughout my my networks. I put it on social media. I got so much love and affirmation back. It was so powerful. But what it did is for those young women and lots of other people that were following me that are aligned to what I'm about, they felt as if they had won something too, the way they rejoiced in this. And so I really understood the visibility that comes with an achievement is about sharing it because it doesn't just belong to me. It's actually my responsibility to shout as loud as possible about it so other people can feel as if they're a part of that win too. Because our success, whether we realize it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not, is interdependent. As successful as you are, Serena, is as as successful as I am because that enables us to be able to leverage, to maximize our efforts and in all kinds of ways. And so to me, it's really important that you celebrate and acknowledge your success and that you're visible with it as much as possible. And I learned that um, not necessarily through my athletics. I learned that through my professional career and through sport. You know, often people don't know this. There's research that says that on the podium, the happiest person is actually the person in third place, the person with the bronze medal, because the one who's won the championship, they're already thinking of the next comp. They've ticked this off. The silver medalist is gutted and upset that they haven't got the gold. And the bronze medalist has come through to win against the odds. And they're so inspired and happy to be there that research has shown that they are the most content on that podium. And so if you do something amazingly, if you achieve your own idea of what success is, and sometimes that's the smallest thing that is you know, somebody smiling at you in a way that is a knowing smile, that's a, a nod of recognition, a salute that they respect your contribution in that moment. It doesn't have to be the massive accolades and titles. That's not what actually success looks and feels like. It's when I get that amazing email from somebody that I coached 10 years ago that's now in a job that they're loving or they've broken through a life-limiting belief and something that I did enabled them to back themselves in that moment, that's success. And I put it into my folder and still I rise my, you know, Mayor Angelou folder on my laptop and I look at that in those moments of challenge. So when you achieve something, you know, acknowledge it, share it, reward yourself, whether that's buying yourself something small, I look at things that I've bought myself when I got my book deal. I bought myself a useful ring, cheap bracelet. And those are the things that give me positivity when I'm trying to anchor positive thoughts as well. And, you know, for me, my ancestry and my heritage is very significant. And so lots of my presentations start with pictures of my grandparents and I'm channeling 
their courage and their strength through the work that I'm doing. And I'm rejoicing in their legacy, actually. And I'm showing them that I'm being as successful as I can in tribute to their contribution and their efforts and their sacrifices, myself and my sister. So that is a very long answer to your, your question. No, I mean, it's, it's a great answer. And it is really important to celebrate those successes because, you know, ultimately, what's the point in having all of these goals that when you achieve them, you don't acknowledge and appreciate that success and the progress that you've had? Yeah. And sharing it, sharing it is so beautiful. You know, when I had my billboard campaign, and there was a massive reveal of this massive billboard on the Chiswick flyover. I took my goddaughter with me and we we reveled. She was my social media manager for the day. And we reveled in the joy of it. And when I brought some people down and I had a book launch for my book. And sharing the success makes it even more richer and even more beautiful. And even if it's a small thing, share it with one person in your life and rejoice in that moment. I'm sure our listeners will definitely be celebrating all of their successes from now on, hopefully. Sadly, we are at the last section of our podcast today. And with every podcast, we finish with a segment called Answer the Internet. And this is where we scour the internet for the questions that the public needs the answers to. And this question is from Reddit, and it's from a user called Northern Star 1458. And they ask, where does self-worth come from in a person? Oh, wow. You've chosen some deep questions to finish today, Serena. Thank you very much, Northern Star. Well, I think self-worth is really connected to our sense of identity and who we are and what we want to be in the world and the contribution that we decide to make. And so that self-worth is is rooted in the answers that you have about yourself and whether that's wherever you're from and however that has been you know, handed down to you. Some of that is through your family, but some of that is self-defined. You know, it was really interesting. And I use myself as an example here. It was recently my birthday. I rejoice in my birthday every year and I celebrate myself. And my dad said to me in this card, you're dynamic, Michelle. And I was like, that's a really odd word to write in my birthday card. And he explained that there's nobody else in the family like you. You have defined this. You're not actually taking after anyone. And I'm like, isn't that interesting? And so there is something beautiful and unique about every single person. And our life's journey is sometimes about discovering that. And that can be joyful, that can be challenging, but that journey of self-awareness is what will lead you to your self-worth and how you back yourself, how you position yourself. The most important relationship is the one that you have with yourself. And I I talk to young people as well in the work that I do, which is a, a joy. And they're often talking about their peer groups and boyfriends, girlfriends, and all the rest of it. And I'm like, well, I'm telling you now, the most important relationship is the one that you have with you. Understanding your strengths, understanding those things that are not so great, those repressed parts of our identity, and committing to doing the work around them, as Carl Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist, talks about, really uncovering those parts that we don't like. And actually, when we come to grips with those, that's when our biggest self-actualization happens. Our biggest personal growth and transformation takes place. So that self-worth is wrapped up in our identity and who we decide to be and how we define ourselves for ourselves and not for anybody else. Our next question, which we ask all of our podcast guests is, what makes a great business leader? Well, for me, a business leader is one that's really self-aware, one that understands that they're are going to be challenging times along the way. 
and that sometimes giving up is a part of that success and that they're not defined by failure, that they can be a transparent and authentic and compassionate leader that drops their ego, that understands that leadership is about creating egalitarian forms of models of leadership. Angela Davis talks about it, academic civil rights campaigner, amazing woman. She talks about how we can become more leaderful as individuals. And then we create these collectives of leaderful individuals that can create masses of change. And I think that is what a leader is about. It's about enabling, bringing out the potential in you and enabling you to be your best version of you that enables others to be that same way. And that comes from the modeling that comes from yourself, but it also comes from how you can be of service to others. So the mistakes I made as a leader is because I, I wasn't placing the importance on that. I was only ever as good as however my team were. So I had to really understand that I had to serve their best efforts. What's going to bring out their potential? How can I create really innovative mentoring programs? How can I enable them to work shadow somebody they really are inspired by? How can I challenge them in terms of really understanding their strengths and not by just overlaying what my ideas for their success and progress is, but really getting underneath what their ideas are. So being that empathetic leader and being very present and accepting that there are some real tough times out there and that there are realities that I might not be able to control, but what I can do is make an effort and a commitment to improve things in that very moment by being present to understanding the issues and the relational connection that I have with others as a conscious leader enables me to be in tune with me and therefore them and then therefore the world. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. Thanks. Finally, do you, do you have any final words for our listeners today? Thank you, Serena. I do want to point people towards my book, Real Wins, and it's out in paperback as well. It's about race, leadership and how to reach your full potential. And I think people will enjoy it. It's also on Audible. It's available in all good bookshops. And you can go to my website, michellemore.me. So I'd love it if people could have a real win choice in their life and make a decision to buy my book. My last words are always about asking people to back themselves to feel that fear and to decide to not be defeated by it, to enable yourself to move forward despite those voices of self-doubt. And sometimes people are like, Michelle, I'm just riddled with a lack of confidence around achieving X, Y, Z. I don't feel as if my leadership voice is being heard. And we talk about the way in which they can do that, the tools that can support them in those moments. But you're still going to be carrying that lack of confidence with you. And that's okay. But you've decided that it's not going to define you and it's not going to define those moments where you can take action and really build that confidence level within yourself. So back yourself, go for it and do those things that do scare you.